Good afternoon. Let's get started right away. One of our favorite things to do on the program is to let you know about upcoming events at the Abraham Lincoln Presidential Library and Museum. Always so many uh, fascinating speakers, authors, historians, etc. And this is a subject I haven't really seen covered before. Uh, it is very timely, even though the events that it discusses go back more than 100 years. Dr. Edward Curtis is the author of Muslims of the Heartland, How Syrian Immigrants Made a Home in the American Midwest. He'll be speaking at the Presidential Library and Museum on Thursday. He joins us live here now. Dr. Curtis, welcome to the show and great to have you here. Pleasure to be with you. Uh, it's a fascinating subject, uh, Arab Muslims moving into the Midwest in the days before World War One. How did you uh, decide to uh, explore this, and, and how did you go about piecing their stories together? I Well, piecing t- together required going to the Smithsonian National Museum of American History and going through oral histories. Uh, using Sanborn insurance maps to figure out the places where they were living, city directories. I used, you know, being a good historian is sometimes being a detective, uh, trying to place people at at certain times and places. Uh, So, uh, and, and then oral histories were gathered by local librarians and historians across the Midwest. So all of that went into writing the book. And uh, how did I get interested in it? Um, I uh, always knew about these, um, or I've known for 20 or 30 years about um, these populations. I think that until the digital revolution, which allows me to, which puts so much more information at our fingertips, it was that that allowed me to really capture the nitty gritty of their daily lives. It's a fascinating topic, and as I said, it's timely again because we continue to just wrestle with these issues of immigrants and refugees coming into our nation, coming into our midst, uh, sometimes sort of uh, shaking up or transforming the the culture around them. Uh, Set the stage for us in the early part of the 20th century. Uh, These are uh, immigrants coming in from places like Syria and Lebanon. What led them here, and specifically what led them to to the Midwest, to Illinois, and to other parts of the region? Well, the parallels are uncanny. Um, You hear oftentimes that immigrants and refugees, or these type of immigrants and refugees, are new. It turns out that uh, this story is as old as the population of our region by Eurasian and African people. So it's an old story. We've just forgotten our own history so they were they came when millions of people came from southern and eastern europe um uh as the global economy economy was changing they were pushed out of their homelands by just a lack of good jobs in the meantime the midwest was booming uh we were the agricultural and industrial center of the country at the time And um, both agriculture and industry were in need of cheap labor. And so so there were pull factors and push factors, and that brought this population to the Midwest. 
You note, though, that uh, they, they pursued often different lines of work depending upon where they settled, that some might go into farming, some might go into factory work. In Illinois, uh, a lot of these immigrants became peddlers. Uh, explain a little bit about that and how some of those uh, paths in life uh, became uh, developed for them. Absolutely. So, so I am the descendant of, of Syrian Lebanese peddlers from southern Illinois, from Cairo. Illinois. And um, now, most of the people who came to Illinois were Christian, not Muslims, but they were all Arabic-speaking people, and they were often from the same villages in Syria and Lebanon. And so these, so these peddlers, um, they would fan out across rural Illinois and all over the Midwest, find out what, oftentimes, what farmers might want or need and then they would sell those, you know, they would pack those and they would sell them to them. They also were in the cities. Those peddlers, um, many of them became dry goods store owners. And then after World War One, they opened up corner groceries. And the corner grocery became a tremendous entrepreneurial success for the Syrian, Lebanese, Muslims, and Christians in Illinois and across the region. And this is an important distinction, as you noted, uh, many immigrants coming in from the Arab world, not all of them Muslim. Uh, what did the, the Muslim immigrants specifically encounter as they came to the Midwest? Yeah, the, yeah, the majority for sure were Christian. People like the Lahuts of Peoria, Illinois, you know, Secretary of Transportation and Congress, uh, members of Congress, Christians. Um, but the uh, the Muslims often faced added discrimination. Of course, it was hard for the Syrian Lebanese Christians as well uh, in, before the turn of the century from, from the 1800s to the 1900s. But there were prejudices against Muslims and Islam. The prejudice that we have in our country against Muslims and Islam is not New. It's as old that even precedes the formation of the Republic in 1776. So they had that added burden. We're talking with Dr. Edward Curtis IV. He's the author of Muslims of the Heartland, How Syrian Immigrants Made a Home in the American Midwest. He'll be speaking this Thursday evening at the Abraham Lincoln Presidential Library and Museum. More details on that in just a moment. Uh, in the meantime, uh, they uh, obviously, and uh, this is not a surprise to any of us here, we know that this era here in Illinois and in the Midwest uh, was full of examples of people who did not react well to those who were different uh, from them. But how did these immigrants themselves feel about the Midwest, about both the opportunities that it afforded them, but also the the challenges that they faced and the resistance they encountered? Well, you know, what's interesting to me is that in the early uh, or in the late 1800s, early 1900s, you know, these these um, immigrants did make friendships across religious, ethnic and racial lines, it, it just depended. For example, the oral histories that I went into, they said, um, many of them said that the Scandinavian, Scandinavian people, or you know, Swedes uh, and Norwegians were particularly nice to them, and they got along to them, and a couple of them said, well, they didn't speak English very well either, so we got along just fine. <laughs> um, uh, but, you know, but the... Um, they were so before many of them thought they would come in the 1880s, 1890s, early 1900s, make a fortune because they had heard that American streets were paved with gold, take that money and go back home. Well, World War I happened in the 19 teens. 
preventing them from going back home. Many of them decided to stay. A number of them fought, of these Muslims fought in World War I, the American Expeditionary Force, that is the U.S. Army, uh, got their citizenship and established these communities, sometimes building mosques across the American Midwest. And they felt deeply tied, not just to the nation, but also to the region. I mean, they, and, and this didn't surprise me. My, my granny taught, my Arab granny taught me this. I mean, they liked to hunt just like everybody else. They did 4-H like everybody else. I mean, they were, they were both Muslims and Midwesterners. We, we talk about immigration uh, a lot, a, a romanticized view of it, that uh, people come into our country from around the world, they bring their talents and their skills and their determination, and they add to the, uh, to the overall well-being of the community. What contributions do you see as uh, these Syrian and Lebanese Muslims making to the Midwest as they came into these communities here? They provided labor that was necessary for the building of the Midwest and the country. I mean, for they were, for example, uh, the railroad cars would not have been made without this population because they were one of the main labor forces at the Haskell and Barker Railroad Car Factory in Michigan City, Indiana. The other uh, um, during the Depression, these Syrian and Lebanese grocery stores became de facto banks. This is, you know, uh, this is one of the few places you could go if you were out of work and get a line of credit uh, and, and, and feed your family. And so there is from, from this business, and then, of course, there's this culture from their food, which they cooked for people they served all over. I mean, this is how Americans came to eat shish kebab and and eventually hummus. And, you know, it changed our palates in the Midwest, depending on where we lived, of course. You know, it was sometimes very local. But they added to that culture. They added to the economy. And then eventually they would also add to um, to our civic life together. They sacrificed for the country in uniform, raised money for war bonds. You know, they it's just that they did what so many other ethnic groups have done. It's just that they've been excluded from our narrative of who we we have been until now. You mentioned Southern Illinois specifically. Did your research uncover any stories from the Springfield area? Were you becoming to speak uh, speak this week? I I really looked as as hard as I could. I know for a fact that there were a lot of Syrian Lebanese Christians in Springfield. I could not find Muslims. The largest Muslim population, um, it's probably a, no surprise, in Illinois is in the Chicago area. And many of those Muslims arrived to work at the Chicago World's Fair of 1893, where they had a mosque and a preacher, an imam, and, um, you know, and one of the first real mosques in the country. Were there any big surprises that you uncovered, things you weren't expecting as you uh, delved into this research? I um, Well, one is a little silly, but I, I couldn't stop laughing about it. Um, I came across a, a newspaper article in the Dakotas in the 19-teens about a man who had um, – who had adjusted um, uh, his farming to the dry climate of the Dakotas and the short grass prairies um, by growing a crop that was very well suited 
for the environment there, uh, something called H-A-M-U-S. Well, thankfully, I, I, I figured out that was hummus. <laughs> the man was planting chickpeas ah. in the 1910s, and it made the Dakota Papers then. Uh, now, this, again, uh, is something that has a family connection to you. You are descended from some of these uh, Muslim immigrants uh, that you tell their stories uh, in the book here. So I've gotten a great overview of your book. You'll be coming again to the uh, Presidential Library and Museum to talk more about it. So what will people encounter when they come to see you this Thursday evening? Yeah, and I should say I I got really close to to figuring out that some of my relatives were Muslim. But I actually never could. Oh. <laughs> absolutely conclude that that was the case. So I can tell it's, it, be, it was a mystery that I try to solve in the book, basically. And um, what the, the um, and that's exactly the approach that people coming to the um, library museum can, um, is that you're going to see pictures of Midwesterners whom you, uh, which are very rare, that you've never encountered before. And also I'm going to um, show you the kinds of documents that I use to piece together this puzzle um, of, of, of how it, of of how these um, Midwestern Muslims lived in 1900 and 1920, uh, and I think the other thing they'll figure out and or that they'll see is how much um, it can be a um, it can be a celebration to be be inclusive about the way we tell who we have been, we tell our past, rather than always having to be uh, politically, you know, torn or full of, you know, there is a way to be inclusive um, that isn't necessarily so controversial. Dr. Edward Curtis is the author of Muslims of the Heartland, How Syrian Immigrants Made a Home in the American Midwest. His presentation this Thursday evening at the Abraham Lincoln Presidential Library and Museum is free, 7 p.m. on Thursday, April 7th. Go to presidentlincoln.illinois.gov to reserve your seat. And Dr. Curtis, thanks so much for your time. Great to talk to you. We appreciate it.